Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Blazing Rye, Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern. What's going on, everyone, today on the show? Broadway's longest-running bell in Beauty and the Beast, Sarah Litzinger. Also, from Broadway's The Addams Family, Michael Buchanan. Here we go. That's right. Um, yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, we're doing. I wrote a show. Uh, it's a musical adaptation of Odyssey, the uh, old Homer epic Greek poem. And so we're doing a musical version of it um, in support uh, with the support of the Araka Group, which produced uh, You're in Town and is currently producing Wicked and other shows on Broadway. And um, yeah, that'll be going up in October. That's amazing. I think we all have really good feeling about it too. Uh, and I'm also joined by uh, the hilarious Ashley Austin Morris from Reading Under the Influence of the DR1. How are you, Ashley? Hi, how are you? I'm good. It sounds like you're you're out and about again. I am. I'm like homeless or something. Why am I never inside a, a place? Weird. Anyway, I'll get some more. So weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, Guys, I just learned about this yesterday. Apparently, the end of the world is coming soon, and Judgment Day is Saturday. Is there anything that either of you want to accomplish before uh, before the end of the world, which I think is, I think Judgment Day is a Saturday, and then the world ends in October. Um, Ash, what do you think you want to get done before the end? Um, I'm going to vamp while I think about that, but I'm just really happy that I decided to never pay my student loans, because... Why? It's all over. Um, <laughs> but what I would like to – can I win a Tony by then? I'm not even nominated. I don't think so. That's all I would want. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. To win a Tony. And what about you, Matt Britton? What would you want to accomplish before the before? Um, is is the 24-hour McDo- uh, McDonald's by my apartment still going to be open on Judgment Day? Uh, uh, I think. Uh, I mean, I. I just. It depends. Are are they are they good Christians? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm gonna wait and see what happens to the McDonald's, and then maybe just go hang out there, because uh, even on the Upper East Side here, there's some interesting people that I have discovered kind of live in the 24-hour McDonald's, 
and they have this whole, like, network of friends and, like, a hierarchy. And I think they're all going to be judged. So I'm going to go check out what's going to happen there. Good to know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that works. All right. So um, you guys probably know about this uh, this wedding proposal that happened on Broadway at the close of Wonderland. Uh, what uh, what what was your reaction to that, Ashley Austin Moore? I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't either. Why don't you uh, why don't you enlighten us? Yes, let me let me explain. Um, the 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 man who I think his name is um. Uh, uh, nope. What was his name? Derek something. See, I, I had this open just now, and now I close, and now I don't know. Oh, um, no. Anyway, an actor, an, an actor that I'll find out the name right now, proposed to an actress in Wonderland, and, um, she said yes, and it was the final, uh, curtain call of, of, uh, Wonderland. Uh. That's really sweet. I like that. Um, I wish they would have done it, like, as part of the show and just went off, you know, went off the script and just really thrown everybody for a loop. That would have been taking it to the next level. But, did, Ryan, did you, have you seen this guy who made the video, the movie trailer that proposed to his girlfriend? No. Oh, I just watched this. Uh, somebody put it on Facebook yesterday. And so you you should look this one up too. A guy made a movie trailer in which he's like uh, asking her uh, father for her hand in marriage, and that and so the girl is in the movie theater with one of her friends watching this trailer, and then he gets in his car, drives to the movie theater, and then he comes in live in person and runs to the front of the movie theater and proposes to his girlfriend. And it turns out her whole family and friends are all in the theater with her secretly. That was pretty cool. Oh my too. goodness. That's awesome. Yeah. If I were her, I would have so, said no, just because. <laughs> like, all that effort. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. That's really sweet. That's so sweet. Yeah, I don't know. So it was actually uh, Darren Ritchie is the guy who played the White Knight, proposed to um, Janet the Call. Uh, and I guess what happened was he proposed at the end of the bow, and then he said, uh, and then she went up to the mic and said, I said yes, and, like, the audience cheered and stuff. And so they lost it, as Darren uh, tweeted, uh, they, he lost the show but gained a wife. So that's sweet. Um, uh, if, if you, well, if but you here's match- the thing. Did they date before? Because, hello, showmance, everybody yeah. falls in love with who they're acting with. That's A. B, everyone is, I'm sorry, but everyone's a whore for a laugh. Maybe they just wanted to get a laugh, and she was like, yeah, absolutely. And they got a good response. So you don't think this marriage will last? I'm not saying that. I don't know the young couple. Or maybe they're old. I don't know them at all. But, you know, I have I I have suspicions about this. I'm wary. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, last thing we'll discuss today um, but by the way, Ashley, how would you want to be proposed to if you if someone were to propose to you uh, tomorrow for today, or you know, by the end of the world? Which is I October. would want them to say, "I bought you an apartment in Manhattan," and I would say, "Do you have insurance? And don't mess around. Do you have dental too?" And if they said yes, we would live happily ever after. That's how I want to be proposed to. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I don't know. I don't know how I would want to be proposed to. I never think about it. What about you? I, I would want someone to vajoozle their vagina first and then uh, propose. 
so let's. Uh, uh, the last thing we'll talk about is the 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 Office. Are you two fans of the television show The Office? Yes, sir. Yes. Okay, great. So, all right. The um, uh, there's going to be an announcement soon of who takes over for Michael Scott uh, since Steve Carell left, and it's it's coming down between Jim Carrey, James Spader, Will Arnett. Will Ferrell and Ricky Gervais will all be on, I guess, the finale. Um, I'm pretty sure it's safe to say Ricky Gervais will not be replacing uh, Michael Scott, but who would you, out of that lineup, Matt Britton, who would you choose to replace Michael Scott? Well, don't forget, Ryan, also at the en- at the very end of the last episode, they showed Creed moving into the office, um, into mm-hmm. Michael's office. And I think that would be hysterical. It's sort of an understated move. We haven't heard a lot from Creed, really, over the last, you know, few years. It's, he shows up with a good gag every now and then. But it would be interesting to see his character sort of take over there. Obviously, out of the names that you mentioned, I mean, who wouldn't love to just watch Jim Carrey week after week? Um, that would be amazing. But if yeah. they're going to go in, internally, I think Creed would be an interesting move. Um, <laughs> you know, so as not to, like, put – put too much effort into it so that later if it doesn't work out, they could just be like, oh, yeah, well, too bad. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And, and Ashley Austin Morris, between these people, Jim Carrey, James Spader, Will Arnett, Will Ferrell, who would, who would you choose? Um, Probably Will Ferrell. Okay. okay. I will say, Will Ferrell did a, a good job over the last uh, few weeks, but yeah. his character was like a little bit undefined. Um, I've been talking to some of my friends about this. You know, it was weird. It was hard to get a hold of who his character was. Um, you know. Oh, is he and, on and the so, show? I don't even have TV. I, I didn't know he was on the show. <laughs> yeah, he's been on for the last five weeks. And i got to say, NBC did an amazing job with this because everyone already has been, like, talking, like, oh, yeah, Will Ferrell's taking over for Steve Carell. So it got a lot of buzz for him just oh. being on for a, few, for a few episodes. Well, just, uh, huh. if you know, uh, just a reminder that Michael Buchanan will be on in just a few moments, but uh, it's funny that you say that, Matt, um, because this whole The Office's development in the last few seasons really made me feel a certain way. Well, a certain way. happened to the quiet, the quiet, silent genius that was the office with the awkward Pinter-esque pauses in seasons two and three? What happened mm-hmm. to the moments like that one single tear on John Krasinski's face in that Casino Night episode? What happened even <laughs> to the brilliance of the Dinner Party episode in season four? In the last few seasons, from seasons five to seven, the office has gone from becoming this quiet genius show smartest show on television, to a manic mess. Lately, though, things have gotten better with the addition of Will Ferrell, and for those last four episodes, I thought that The Office was once again gaining speed, and Steve Carell, uh, saying goodbye to Steve Carell, that was a very moving episode, and I was worried that the first episode after Steve leaving wouldn't be so good, but it turned out it was one of the better episodes in the last three seasons. However... Last week, without Will Ferrell, now that he's hospitalized and you just have Dwight as the acting manager, and as Matt said, Creed at the end, uh, I thought that episode was terrible. So, 
used to be a great show, and uh, now I find that, you know, they they really seem to have jumped the shark, you know, and not in the ironic way where Fonzie jumped the shark in Arrested Development, but I more so in the real way. <laughs> in the real way that Fonzie jumped the shark in Happy Days. Literally jumped over a shark. A shark. So, a, t- a shark. A shark. Literally. <laughs> anyway, that made me feel a certain way. Panel, thank you so much for doing it. We'll have you guys back on soon. Thank you, Thank Ryan. you. If I could just shout out real quick, if you're an actor listening to this right now and you'd like to be involved in an upcoming reading of Odyssey, the epic musical, you can go to odyssey.co slash casting. That's .co, C-O. All right, that's my shout out. Awesome. Great. Thanks, Matt. And Ashley, where can people go to get tickets for your extension of Reading Under the Influence? They can go to readingundertheinfluenceplay.com. And also, for our friends out there who may be a little economically challenged, I think there's like $8 tickets on Ocho Loco, which I think is, Ocho, is a okay. Spanish website. I'm not sure. But oh, awesome. they, can, they can get like student rush tickets and stuff like that. Awesome. So cool. Thank you so much for coming on. And it was Thank great you, to meet guys. You. Awesome. Yeah, it was great Take to care. meet you. Okay, bye. Yay, bye. Okay, and uh, just a reminder to all the guests in the chat room, uh, there's a chat room at the bottom of your screen. You can log into the chat room by signing in through Facebook or Twitter, or you can call if you have a question for Michael or Sarah, not Michael, Sarah, at 917-388-4131. That's 917-388-4131. And now, from White Noise and the Adams Family, Michael Buchanan. Hey, y'all. Hey. Can you hear hey, me? Buddy, what's going on? Oh, yes, no, sir. I'm in a car. My friend's driving me home. Oh, okay. Thank God you're not driving because, you know, Morgan Carr no, called me. No, I'm not driving. Not at all. I have people do that for me now. <laughs> <laughs> to just okay. start the show off as a douchebag. That would be great. Hi, <laughs> okay, how are you? Oh, I'm just, just awful. This couldn't be worse. How are you? Couldn't be worse. So let's go into that. Just that kidding. sounds interesting. No, J-K-O-L-O-N-G-B-Y-O-D-O-B-G-Y-N. What is going on with you, sir? You are just sort of, a, you, I think, are just this beacon of positivity. I've, you're the nicest guy, and I I know that there's some evil lurking deep down, but I just haven't figured out what it is yet. So I try to I just keep it at bay, to... or, like, at least, you know, suppress it until a time I can, like, let it all loose on my on my partner. <laughs> Um, by let it all loose on your partner, what does that entail exactly? Oh, you know, he deals with the very Gemini side of me. Um, you know, oh, okay. the evil twin okay. status. He, so I'm, I'm happy he's still around. He's, he's a good man. <laughs> yeah, he is a good man. That's, that's your. You want to give a little shout out to? Uh, oh Jason? yeah, hey Jason, Jason Gilbert, everybody. Hopefully listening from his desk at work. <laughs> <laughs> um and. You know, what? the first time I met you guys, maybe it was the second time. No, it was the first night. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you, uh, Jason was saying that he was part Native American, and then I think uh, my friend asked if you were, and you said, well, I've had Native American in me, and I thought uh, that was I funny. I sure did say that. Wow, you remember that. <laughs> well, I remember wow. everything. I remember everything. Um, and, yeah, just you, you are even – let me just tell the listeners how nice a guy Michael Buchanan is. When I when – I, when you – we're going to host uh, mostly Sondheim. I had just come from doing the Resigno show. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I waved to you from as I was exiting the duplex, and you, you gave me a little look, 
as I was on my way out when you were in the middle of this, like, choreographed number where you gave me a little look and wave, and I appreciate you doing that in the middle of your number. Oh, no problem. I'm here to help. <laughs> okay. I'm always so, here Michael, for you. Yeah. Holler. What, what is all this noise I've been hearing about white noise? The white noise that we're making. Um, we just closed uh, the show, a new show called White Noise in Chicago at the Royal George. We had our last performance on last Sunday. Um, it's an amazing new show. Uh, it's about, to um, put it in a nutshell, um, it's about a neo-Nazi pop group set in present day, and it's quite amazing. And are they by Wilkie Goldberg are, and others? And they're children, the pop group, or, or that's well, it's based on a story about two it's twins, right? On like a, a true. Yeah, it's based on the Lamb sisters. They, I, I don't know. You can just uh, if you do a quick Google search, search you'll find them. Um, they were on my. I'll be careful with that. Uh, uh, yeah, I want to say like Dayline or something, some like talk show a, a while ago, and they did this whole piece on these two sisters who were quite young. They basically are like Mary Kate and Ashley kind of teen tweens, and they were like writing music, and it's all kind of hate filled. Um, so basically, the concept of White Noise is like, what if a major record producer actually signed them, and they were good? So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, like what happens when people start selling their souls and then like they code their music so they, so they can put on the radio and it's it's quite interesting the concept that we're working with and um, we have a lot of great writers and they, it's it's just pretty amazing it's a spectacle. Wow, isn't one of them uh, Matty O'Brien? Matty O'Brien wrote the book. He's amazing. Shout out to Matty O'Brien. Oh. That kid's going places. <laughs> you know, you know what his stage name? You know what his stage name was in college, Michael? Please tell me. I don't. I don't know if you're ready for this. Are you sure? Oh shit. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. Oh man, I might get in trouble. Gabriel Uh-oh. Matthews. Gabriel Matthews. Gabriel Matthews. Yeah. Horrible wow. name. When you have a name like Matty O'Brien, why would you go with Gabriel Matthews? I know. So Gabriel Matthews is the is a fake name, and Matty O'Brien is, is his real name. <laughs> yeah, but now he's using his real name for his fake name, and I don't know what he's using in real life anymore. Oh my God, what are we? What's going on these days? <laughs> these kids. These kids um, and their pseudonyms. <laughs> okay, so it's about so if this group becomes successful, what? So what do you mean? Like if they become like mainstream, like played on the radio and stuff? Absolutely, and. What's also good to shout out to our our music writers. All every single song in the in the show is could be a top forty hit right now. It it's just so good. So it's kind of like when you're watching the show, you're tapping your toes to the music and you're like literally singing it. Like I've had friends that have seen it one time and they will sing it verbatim to me after the show. So it's one of those you definitely leave the the show humming all the all these songs. But but in watching the show, you figure out, uh, wow, they changed that word to make it socially acceptable, and that's frightening because it it used to be a message of hate, and now people are just blindly buying into it. So it's it's really interesting. So when people get these songs in their heads and they're they're singing all, I mean, are they? Is that a bit awkward if they're singing all these racist um, fuel well, songs? Well, no, you know. Um, for instance, there's a song. Uh, they're basically in the in the plot of the story. Their biggest hit 
that comes is called Monday Suck. And it's a song, like, they, they keep talking about how are we going to rewrite this song to make it socially acceptable. And they're like, well, we need something that everyone hates. And one of the girls goes, oh, how about Mondays? Nobody likes Mondays. But what, it, what the word they've changed is a racial slur against African-American <clears throat> people. So when you know that and you see it, see how much it catches on, and there's so much multimedia in the show, it, 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 um, on the LCD, LCD screen behind us, um, they're, like, showing YouTube clips of, like, kids doing the moves and, like, it's spreading like wildfire in our media. So it's, uh, it's something like that. That's amazing. Um, just yeah. a reminder to everyone, to uh, if you are calling in to ask a question for Michael or for Sarah later, uh, 917-388-4131 and press the number one button. Uh, press the number one, otherwise I won't know you're on to talk. Uh, okay, so, Michael, what's the character that you play in White Noise? Well, I'm in the ensemble, um, and so have a lovely shaved head right now. It's it's quite interesting. Oh, um, yes. But also, yes. I have a little um, character role within it, and I play Teal Waters, the international queen of all music. She is um, <laughs> she's quite a character, loosely inspired by Mr. Perez Hilton. So, you know, yeah. we represent the media in our show with reporters, obviously, but also this music blogger, Teal Waters, who you know, says things like, hey, batches, listen up, we're top 20 now, you know, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and has wild things. So I get to play that role, uh, and I'm I'm loving it. I mean, after opening night, Teal Waters interviewed Whoopi Goldberg, which was quite an honor for him. So, you know, it's been a fun character to, to flesh out a little bit. Wow. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Um, All you can so... do, wow, I know. Teal Waters, please. Uh, and uh, you actually, like, for, for those who don't know what white noise actually is, what does white noise actually mean? What does white noise actually mean? Um, white noise is what they uh, they call the pop group um, because they're obviously, um, you know, and it, it's WN. In, on the stage, they've made their branding. Uh, it looks very frightening. They superimpose the N over the W. So it kind of looks swastika-ish. It's kind mm-hmm. of crazy. So White Noise is the name of the band that they start marketing. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And you, you know, um, and, and double meanings, obviously, the noise that we're making. <laughs> so you mentioned, Michael, that you uh, uh, you said you t- uh, you tweeted. Is it tweeted? Is that the terminology? Oh, I don't know. Tweeted, tweeted, twatted. Okay, so I saw that you twatted bucket list. Interview and hug from Whoopi. Check. Now, since yep, the end yep. of the world is apparently coming um, in a couple of days, so they say, yeah, what else do you have on your bucket list? Ooh, good question. Oh, God. Good question and a hard question. What other bucket listers? I don't know. Um, if if it were to be all over on Saturday, I would hope to have, you know, a really good last meal at a favorite place. I don't know. This is talking to the immediate if it's happening, you know on Saturday, but um, I don't know. Other bucket list items would include, I don't know, starring in a new Broadway musical. That's all having to do with me. How's that? There's a bucket list for you. <laughs> oh, so you're, you're just you're just stating the dream of every every actor who does not, who, who's afraid to say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, don't be afraid. Just, you know, um, just give into it and, and realize that we're all, we're all getting there. We're all, and we're all on our own pace. 
So right now I'm climbing up through Teal Waters, you know, because I feel like there should yeah. be a spinoff musical just called Teal Waters. <laughs> what happened the when you interviewed Queen of did, how, did that, how did that interview uh, go? Can you, can you give us any highlights? You know, it's funny. We did it on a flip cam that they were planning on using for marketing and stuff, and I don't know where the flip cam is, so I hope it's not lost, but one producer has all these interviews. But it was after the show, and basically Teal Waters asked Whoopi, you know, first of all, because he usually pulls things right out of his ass, he said, you know what, I just loved you in Boys on the Side. And we talked about Boys on the Side for a while. Um, and then I talked about, what I don't know what I asked, I said something like, like, what is it like to be a part of such a dramatic musical about such an important, you know, subject matter? And um, she started answering in her Valley Girl voice, which was very fun. And um, we went from there. It was lovely. <laughs> She's a big um, fan of Teal. Why, she wants to get Teal and Girl voice. together. Oh, you know that famous Valley Girl voice she does from her stand-up long ago? I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, okay. You can look it up. Fair enough. Go to, like, comic relief <laughs> days. <laughs> um, okay, so, well, how did how did Whoopi get involved in, in this production? You know what? As far as I've heard, this production has been, um, it's been circling around for a while. Um, originally, there was an original concept um, that they took to New Orleans uh, first. They did a production in New Orleans. And I'm not one to talk about what that production was um, because I wasn't involved. But what I hear is that it was very different. Some of the songs remain the same. The, the concept is the same. But it was a very different book. It was a very different feel. It was more tongue-in-cheek and maybe comedy, I hear. Um, but it was it was that kind of feel. And I think... What I'm hearing is she got involved at that production. She has either saw a recording of it or saw it, and um, she was like, "Yeah, this is a story that needs to be told." And um, we have two. We have lots of producers, but the two main ones, uh, Jay Stroman and Holly Way, are the basically the huge champions of this. That they've been trying to get this going from the beginning, and then Whoopi came on um, after that, and then. From that, that's when Sergio Trujillo um, got involved, and they really revamped the whole show. Um, I want to say, like, about a year ago, they started with, with that kind of team, um, him at the helm. So so they made a lot of good changes, and they just, they're just they still going with them. They're, they plan on, you know, refining the book even more and uh, and stuff like that. So, What's the status on it uh, going to Broadway? Is that uh, in the near you know, future, distant future? Yeah, it's um I know that they're hoping for a near future date. Um they haven't released anything yet after this closed. They, you know, they are very much mm, saying that something else is happening with it. Um I know they have their sights on Broadway. That's been the goal from the beginning. And we actually somebody sent me a New York Times article that was out a couple of weeks ago that was kind of like basically rating um like four pre-Broadway runs around the country and giving them, like, stars. And we got three stars. So, like, we're kind of like, they, you know, New York is excited for it, and they're they're running on that on that uh, excitement, you know? Yeah, man. Awesome. Um, you know, speaking of Whoopi Goldberg, I, I read in a, in a review of your performance mm-hmm. as Bobby Strong in Urinetown in the Chicago <laughs> Sun-Times where they say, quote, your eyebrows are a performance in themselves. What is all this fuss about your eyebrows? <laughs> well, they are. I mean, um, I'm hugely expressive with my face, hence all my character wrinkles on my forehead. 
And, um, you know, Bobby Strong was, was a pretty out there character um, to play. And he, he had an eyebrow raise moment every scene, I guess, <laughs> they decided to comment on. I'm glad it got a shout out in that review. <laughs> Did he say other things besides your eyebrows? Besides about your eyebrows? Um, oh, yeah. He said, I think that article mentioned maybe a lovely voice, but mostly the eyebrows, which I'll take. <laughs> cool. I seem I'll to have missed that part. I was just focused on focus on the eyebrows. Um, so, uh, you know, Michael Buchanan, one of my weird habits is looking at people's special skills on their resumes. And I noticed okay. you you had down puppeteer. How did you get oh, yeah. into puppeteering and, like, what – what level are you at? Are you are you like a puzzle oh, twist question. level, or what level are you at? Oh well, let's see. I first put that on my resume because um, Avenue Q was hard for me for a quick second, and I went to I went to they just started kind of doing replacements and all that stuff. So they they hadn't really gotten a puppet school together yet, but they they had like a workshop, like a two day workshop. So got to like play with puppets with Jennifer Barnhart, original cast member of um, Avenue Q, and just some a lovely lady, first of all, and an amazing teacher. So, like, I feel like me not being, at that moment, not the best puppeteer I could be because there's a lot of study that goes into that craft that I have not put in the time with, but I feel like my journey for Av- Avenue Q really helped me along in that. So I feel like I have some basics with that. And then, of course, working on Adam's Family, um, we all, all the ensemble is is required to puppet one thing or another at at one time or another. So it's um you know I feel like that's a solid skill now. I can uh, I can breathe life to a piece of fabric. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the way you said that. Um, I believe we have uh, somebody on the line to ask you a question. Let's see. Um, okay, nine one seven. What's your name? Where are you checking in from? Nope. Wait a second. Uh, hi. Four five three. What's your name? Where are you checking in from? Two five three. Two five three. Hello. Oh, two five three. That's me. Hi. Hey, what's your name? I'm, my name is Anne. And earlier you hi, were um, talking to Michael Buchanan. You were telling him like how he had such a positive spirit and. I, I was just wondering how he channels that, you know, because I think the life of an actor must be really, really difficult. So how does he keep that up? And then my second follow-on question is, I also heard he has a cabaret show, and I was wondering about that. Oh, okay, Michael. wait. So the first question was what? I, there was two parts, I believe, right? Yeah. How do you say positive as an actor? Is that what I heard? Yes. Okay. Um yeah, good question because um, I def- there are definitely moments in an actor's life, in every actor's life, that um, are some of the hardest things to deal with, like rejection and not getting things and not being paid and, and the like. And I feel like I, I almost, uh, pardon the word breakthrough, but uh, a couple years ago I turned like 30 and I just was like, you know what, I'm a, instead of being frustrated with where I am in the business, or where I want to be, in comparison to where I want to be, I just have to accept that this is the track that I'm taking. I'm not, I didn't come to New York and get a fast track to Broadway. I worked really hard, and um, and I'm still working. We're all forever working. And as long as you are just keeping everything in check and doing what you can do, then that, I mean, that's, you know, you caught me on a good day. That's what I say today. I mean, <laughs> my show just closed, so maybe I'll have a, a different story later. But, um, 
but yeah, I think that's how I would say positive. Cool. And uh, and what was your second question, Anne? And the other question was, I I heard that Michael has a um, a cabaret show or a one man show, and I'm just wondering how we can catch that or how often he does that. All right. Well, um, I uh, haven't done it in a while. It's called I'll, Michael Buchanan. I'll do anything, and um, I kind of co-wrote it with my friend Tyler Ferreira, and uh, loosely directed by Traylon Dolar. Um, and uh, we just kind of put together songs. It was a it's mostly songs that I change the lyrics to and um, and the like for musical theater and pop. And there's a couple of original songs in there that friends have written. But mostly at its core, it's about um, it's about the business and it's about my journey and and every a lot of actors' journey that we're asked to do amazingly crazy things in this business, like go to puppet school or um, like dye your hair black as a blonde uh, for Jersey Boys and try for that. So it's it's kind of like about that. And where you can catch it, I don't know yet. Um, the next time, I haven't planned it. But whenever I'm in, in New York City, uh, the duplex really is a is a, um, a big fan and a big help to me. And uh, we do it there every once in a while. So look for it at the duplex in New York City. That's great. And last thing is, and I know I'm taking up time, but I was lucky enough to see you in your in town, and oh my gosh, it, you were Bobby Strong. And didn't you win an award for that? Wow, yeah, I did. Um, Joseph Jefferson Award um, in 2006 in Chicago. Well, well deserved. So thanks. I will keep listening, and now I'll I'll put it on mute. <laughs> thanks. Okay. Thanks, thanks a lot for your uh, call in. You're welcome. Okay. Um, uh, so, Michael, we, you mentioned the uh, the Adams Family. Uh, what yeah. was your uh, role in in that show, and what was what was your experience like there? Um, I did the um, out of town Chicago run of that. Uh, actually, excuse me. Um, actually, what happened was uh, an ensemble member in that when they were uh, rehearsing in New York City had an injury. And they were casting an immediate replacement just for the Chicago run of it. And I happened to be fortunate enough to get that. And um, so I went and I basically was was uh, creating the track um, of an ensemble member in the Adams Family, which we all play ghosts, ancestors of the Adams. So I did that in Chicago. It was wildly fun and exciting to, I mean, to be anywhere near that cast of talented people. It was ridiculous. And so we did our out of town in Chicago, and then um, and then when they moved to Broadway, the 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 guy I was replacing, he his medical leave was over, so he opened on Broadway. But then a month later, they called me into Vacation Spring. So on Broadway, I I uh, came back and I got to be a, a different ancestor, and I uh, I worked with them for a while until I came here to do White Noise. And uh, this this was not your your first Broadway show either, right? Uh, no, I did. Uh, my first Broadway show was Crybaby um, in 2008 was uh, my Broadway debut, and it was one of the most fun and um, lovely productions and group of people I've ever worked with. It was just amazing. Yeah, that must have been a blast. Um, you know, Anne yeah. was talking to you about cabarets before. Have you ever maybe done a cabaret uh, at the duplex with this, like, amazing rapper once or twice? Amazing rapper. I mean, he beatboxes for days on, on you know, like New York State of Mind was one that I really enjoyed him on. 
Okay. Um, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell him you said hi. Uh, so, yeah, right. Um, yeah. Give him a hug for me. Uh, later. Michael, you uh, – all right. So – uh, I hear now. You just worked with some some pretty uh, big stars in the Broadway community. Uh, I hear. I just heard. Um, you know, you can you can decline to answer if you'd like. But I, I just sure, heard sure. that Nathan Lane kind of Nathan Lane kind of gets it on with a with a with a lot of the folks he hangs out with after the show. Is that is there any truth to this? Gets it on. What do you mean by that? Like uh, you know, has has some sort of uh, hooks up with them. Well. Uh, you know what we, Nathan and and the cast in terms of when I've been around has only gone out a couple times. We took them out in Chicago to sidetracks, which was hilarious and eye opening at the same time because everybody of mm-hmm. course was asking Nathan Lane to like touch them and you know sing just for them at sidetrack in Chicago, and it was hilarious and I could see why he was like, Michael, can you keep these people away from me? I was like, but of course. Um, in New York, uh, yeah, we hung out once, maybe, with the cast, but, um, nothing big to talk about. He has a lovely partner. He's lovely. I regret, I regretted asking that question as soon as it came out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> she regretted so, it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, all right, um, so, uh, Michael, what's, what's going on with you now? What are you about to get into? Yeah, I'm about to um, start, I actually just uh, made this deal the other day, uh, I'm about to start a new show, um, another show I've been involved with that has their eyes set on the Broadway, um, Fat Camp. So I'm about to start rehearsals, we start rehearsals mid-June, they're going to have a run at the Hannah Theater in July in Cleveland, Ohio. So uh, yeah, I play a male cheerleader named Titus in that. Wow. So uh, look out for Fat Camp, you, y'all. <laughs> uh, do you have to play an overweight character? I'd imagine that'd be a bit difficult. Um, no, I, I don't think so. You know, I, I the character I play is an Act 2 character um, when the cheerleading mm-hmm. camp gets flooded and they have to come to the Fat Camp. So uh, comedy ensues, if you will. But I can't imagine that I won't be, like, counselor number three at the fat camp at, in the beginning act. But we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, okay, fair enough. And, um, what, uh, okay, so people can check you out at michaelbuchananonline.com. That's the website, right? Yes, yes. And your Twitter, your tweeter deeter handle is mwbuchanan. So everybody follow Michael on Twitter. Um yes, Before we go, Michael, do you, uh, do, do you prefer uh, dance belts or, or a jockstrap? Um, it depends on where I'm going out, what bars I'm going to, actually. <laughs> um, All right, so what are the what are the jockstrap bars and what are the dance belt bars? Oh, okay. Like, well, give me an example actually, of one for each. All right, all right. Well, how about a jockstrap bar? You know, I can turn any bar into a jockstrap bar, personally. But, um, I, you know, a sensible, you know, Ninth Avenue saloon. How about that? Um, okay. dance belt bar, you know, I take that back. I, I would never wear a dance belt to a bar. I don't like that feeling. I like to be free. So you don't like wearing them and I'd imagine you have to wear them in rehearsals sometimes, no? Yeah, I mean, in shows I like to wear a dance belt. In this last show I wore a full-backed dance belt. That's what I'm getting into now. So not the oh traditional goodness. thong one. <laughs> okay. 
And who who is your favorite um, male actor? Favorite male actor? Oof. Um, you know who just comes to mind right now, just the top of my mind, is Mark Rylance. Like, oh, what a genius. Sure. Yeah. Genius. I mean, there are many, but that, you... that one just popped to my fore, forehead. Did you just see him in something? You know, I, I saw him in Labette last, um, which was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it, he has like a 20-minute monologue at the beginning, and it's just mind-blowing. Did you get to see that? I haven't, but I did see no. him in um, I saw him in Twelfth Night in London and uh, as Olivia, and he was amazing. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. <laughs> and I saw him in Boeing, Boeing, which was ridiculous too. He won the Tony for that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a pretty cool. great. And actor. um, who who is your favorite male actress? Male actress. <laughs> Wow, um, male actress. I don't know. That's a hard one. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Charlie Sutton. <laughs> How's that? Charlie Sutton? Yeah, I worked with him in a, a, um, two of the Broadway shows, in Adam's Family and in um, in Crybaby. I'd call him a male actress. <laughs> He's lovely. <laughs> He's one of the most phenomenal okay. dancers and there. tumblers that there is. <laughs> so I'll I'll go with that one. And uh, oh, so you you also got to work with Dee Dee Newworth, right? What was the, what was that like? Oh yeah, yeah she's lovely. She's I feel like she's like the mother of the gypsies. Like she's like f- for the chorus, by the chorus. I came from the chorus. Like she's she takes care of you. She's lovely. Awesome. Is she funny? She's one of those people that seems like she might. It seems like she's serious, but could have a really funny side underneath all this. Oh, she has a terribly funny side. She's hilarious. Um, You know, during the show, though, like, I have to say, in Adam's family specifically, like, just being the costume changes and being where they need to, they are, uh, Gomez and Morticia are heavily involved in it, uh, as you know. But, like, there's only some times where she would, like, filter down into the, the men's changing area, and those were always funny times. Like, right, uh, I think it's when uh, Krista would be singing Pulled, and she would come down to get a glass of water in her tight little dress, and we'd have a couple words, and then she'd go back up. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, And you you know, Michael, uh, our mutual friend Kate Doyle seems to kind of use you as like a, 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 a... Platform for to getting to Broadway. At least she jokes around about that. Have you have you given oh, her any any I advice? I think there are truth truth in every joke that she tells. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, she. Uh, I haven't talked to her in a little bit, but uh, she's on her way. I mean, she's making her way herself. She's climbing through it. She's an yeah, amazingly definitely. funny lady. So uh, she can climb all over yeah. me. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Me too. That's my boo. Um, yeah. Okay. So, Michael, hey, I'll let you get uh, get back on the road here. Uh, but well, thank you thank so much you. for for doing it, sir. It was a blast. I had so much fun. I'm so glad that uh, this happened. I love you. I love you too. And it's been I've wanted you on since like the first week we were doing this, and and now a year, almost a year later, we've made it happen. We've somehow. done it. We've done Correct. it. Finally, <laughs> technology was available. And will you come back and join the panel sometime to talk about uh, hot topics in the top ten minutes? I'm so into that. Holler. All right. Love you more than the Grand Central News fans.
All right, baby. I'll see you later. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. That was Michael Buchanan from White Noise in Chicago and Broadway's The Addams Family and Cry Baby. Okay. So just a reminder, everyone, that Sarah Litzinger is coming up in just about a minute. Um, she played Belle in Beauty and the Beast on the big Broadway, longer than any other actor. Um, and she was also in Les Mis. I mean, and... Uh, I believe she was she was in on Broadway mad early too, uh, so um, like from whence the time she was a kid. Uh, anyway, lovely woman about to come up, and uh, can't wait to talk to her. I went to a concert um, last week. I mentioned that I was going to give a review of the concert, and uh, I have not done it yet. But it uh, I went to see Sleigh Bells. They are a band out of Brooklyn, and they are amazing. Uh, and uh, I, I went to Webster, the show at Webster Hall last week. So they had three sold-out shows in New York, and um, it's crazy because my friend who's in the band, Derek, used to be in another band that was pretty successful. And then he, he left that band, and I, I thought that was strange because why in this tough business, why would you leave such a successful band? But he made the right move because now Sleigh Bells is massively huge. Um, and the concert was amazing. And the band that opened for them, CSS, definitely check them out. I had never heard of them before. They are this group out of Brazil, mostly women. The lead singer was incredible, um, incredible stage presence with stage diving and flipping her mic all around. And I thought she was going to you know, knock somebody out. Um, and the music's real poppy and dancy and catchy. And then definitely check out Slay Bell. Follow them at Twitter on, on Slay Bell, or uh, on Twitter, at Slay Bell, rather. And uh, they, it's like nothing you've ever heard before, and I'm so happy for, for Derek and um, Alexis. Uh, it's just amazing that the that his journey that I thought, you know, why would, why would he do this at first, that it's brought him to this place where the music is being featured on MTV Skins and uh, in... Uh, it comes on, like, bars and stuff, and we're, like, not even face by it anymore. So check them out if you don't know about them. It's, like, trashy guitars, indie rock, danceable. It's it's amazing, and it's just he wrote it all on his computer, just him and his software and his guitar, and he added Alexis, and there you go. Check them out, man. And uh, I'd like to bring on our next guest. We are now joined by the woman who played Belle more than any other actress on Broadway, Sarah Lipsinger. Wow, that's some rousing applause. <laughs> how about that? How how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. It's uh it's a pleasure to have you on and it's it's uh it's been very nice running into you the last couple of weeks. I feel like we're BFFs now. I think we are for life. That's good stuff. And, Thanks um, for having me, Rye. Absolutely. Oh, we're on the one syllable, Sarah. How about that? I like that. We're already on the nickname. Um, I mean, we are BFF, so. <laughs> uh, so much BFF to the point that you you gave me your uh, your your drink tickets as you as you uh, snuck <laughs> a little drinky drink into Broadway sessions. Well, you know, I'm really classy like that. <laughs> Um, see, that's that's the life of an actor, man. Even the the woman who played Belle in Beauty and the Beast, huge Broadway show, more than anyone else, <laughs> still needs to 
sneak drinks into <laughs> nightclubs at 12 in the morning? Well, let me just, you know, rat out um, our friend Greg Reuter because he was the one that brought the booze in. And, um, you know, I was just glad to um, partake with him. And then, of course, pass along the drink tickets to you because that's how I roll. <laughs> well, much appreciated. And shout out to Reuter. <laughs> um, if, you, if anyone listening has any questions for Sarah, uh, you can sign into the chat room or through Facebook or Twitter. Is it Twitter or Twitter? Twatter. <laughs> it's Twatter. Okay, um, so Facebook it's, it's Twatter. Twatter. <laughs> or you can call the call in number 917-388-4131. That's 917-388-4131. And, you know, let's make this a big old party. All right. So, Sarah, you were on Broadway at age 11 as the understudy for uh, young Norma Jean in Maryland in American Fable. Now, I didn't even get to see a Broadway play till I was 45. Did I did it hit you at that age knowing you accompli- knowing what you accomplished or or did you know you were super super superly awesome and talented way before then? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, you weren't even alive when I made my Broadway debut. Um, you know, I it was my hobby when I was a kid. So, I didn't really think of it as like, "Oh my gosh, I'm on Broadway. I've hit the big time." It really was a hobby for me, and I just started performing um, at a very early age, and I loved being on stage. So um, that was just a, another fun thing to do. Luckily, I had very cool parents that um, were incredibly supportive. So they, my mom came to New York with me, and I got to, to do some fun stuff. Do your parents come from the performing arts as well? Not at all, not at all. My mom is a re- retired school teacher, and my dad um, worked for Eli Lilly, which is one of the larger pharmaceutical companies um, in the state. So, yeah, they were sort of taken aback um, at my, I guess, my, my singing talent. They took me to see Annie when I was six, the national tour. Um, it was a Christmas present. And um, I sat there mesmerized, and that's I sort of pushed my parents into the business um, once I saw Annie, I was like, oh, I have to be up there. I have to be doing that. <laughs> so you were, you didn't have stage parents, but you were like a stage daughter pushing them into the business. Oh, totally. I think I threatened to run away from home if they didn't let me audition for things. <laughs> Did you emotionally scar them, do you think? Um, I mean, they're emotionally scarred, but probably not entirely by me. My brother probably scarred them as well. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, okay, so you're, yeah, Sarah, you are Broadway's longest-running Belle in Beauty and the Beast, and having returned to the cast three times, did the role take on a new life for you? You know, did you make new discoveries you didn't realize first time you stepped into the Belle shoes? Oh, gosh. You know, I think the challenge in, in doing a show like that, especially when you do so many performances, is, you know, how do you um, – continue to make it fresh for yourself, you know, and I'm not going to lie, you know, you'll be up on stage thinking, you know, what am I going to have for dinner when I get home or, you know, the challenge is to sort of push those thoughts out of your head and um, remain present and, um, you know, I was really thankful for that job and and, uh, loved playing that role and and the entire cast as well as my co-star, Steve Blanchard, He's definitely Broadway's longest-running beast. Um, we had a great friendship, so that made um, it made the job really, really fun. But yeah, being spontaneous that many times in a row is is difficult. But you realize 
you know, they're paying you good money to, um, you know, to, to do that and um, to respect the job that you have. So, yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Good times. Okay. Yeah, man. Did you did you get the chance to watch other people's bells, or did you try and stay away from that? I I saw a few, <laughs> um, you know, because, um, yeah, when I, let's see, when I went, because I did the original tour and then um, was asked to come in and fill in um, for someone who was the understudy. So uh, I think I, when I came in, Tony Braxton was finishing up her contract. So I was able to delight in that um, performance. And let's see. Of course, I saw Andrea McArdle because I took over for her, and I saw Jamie Lynn Sigler, and also, who else did I see? Uh, Christy Carlson Romano, and, mm-hmm. hmm, yeah, I think that was it. Who was your favorite? Um, I think, I think Andrea, out of those people, yeah, that I saw. And your least favorite? Star-wise. I mean, I've seen non-stars play the role as well. Oh. Um, like Sarah Uriarty Berry and um, Ann Sanders, who was my understudy and then took over for me when I left the show the first time. And, um, you know, uh, they were wonderful as well. Mm-hmm. Any, any, any ones that you didn't like at all? <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> You're baiting me to be catty. <laughs> I don't even know what catty really means. Oh, right. Um, I would say <laughs> I would say um, Christy Carlson Romano's performance was interesting. <laughs> it was special. It was mind. very special. It was. Well, I think you know you can tell sometimes when you're watching um, someone on stage who is um, very used to being on television because it's, it's just it's different, you know. You have to take up a lot more space on stage and be comfortable with that. Um, and I think she was a little awkward. Um, but, uh, you know, who am I? I'm just Broadway's longest-running bell. What do I know? <laughs> so, honestly, though, what's it, what's it like making out with a huge beast-like creature on stage? <laughs> it's extremely hot. Yeah. No, really? no, you know, it's funny because, you know, stage kissing, is it's like you're all sweaty and there's the beastly makeup and the prosthetics and all that stuff. I mean, well, actually, when we kissed, he was he was the prince. So, you know, there was never any, like, slippage of the tongue or anything. It was totally legit. It was legit stage kissing. Okay. Now, I mean, out of all the shows you do, the, the entire run, all three times, all – no tongue, ever? No tongue-edge, no. I am a professional. Oh. How dare you? I'm not worried about you. I, I, wasn't, more. I was worried about the guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I will say the first time I went on as Belle when I was understanding, you know, I got a bunch of notes, and they said, can you please not kiss the beast so aggressively at the end? <laughs> I guess I was just really excited, you know, that I'd found my prince. And, I mean, there wasn't tongue edge at that time, but I, I guess, you know, I didn't let him sort of grab me and kiss me. I sort of went in for the kill. Oh. And I learned, you know, okay. that's not the way of an ingenue, you know. you got to let the right. man you know, sort of take you and kiss you. So I had to back off in my aggressive ways. <laughs> got to stay true to that 
Disney character. Um, Absolutely. And, and in the in the so in the history of the show, who would you say was the best best stage kisser of the guys who played the the beast? Well, I would have, I'd have to go with Steve Blanchard. I mean, he you know he was the one I, that I kissed the most. We you know we had our our chemistry and our way of doing things. You, know, you get used to you know playing with the same person every day, and and that part of it's really fun because we were very comfortable with each other. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with Steve. Okay. Steve. But he wasn't too sweaty, so, which was nice. He wasn't sweaty. He wasn't too sweaty. No, I've kissed some sweaty ass actors. <laughs> yeah, sweaty and spitty. Mm, oh no, that's all kinds of wrong. So a big bowl of wrong, Sarah. You uh, that that show that you originally debuted in when you were eleven, it it was it was short lived, right? Was that tough to deal with <laughs> at, a, at a young age to to you know get this Broadway show and then find out it was it was closing so soon? No, I didn't know the difference. I was just like, hey, can I? steal a sip of champagne at the opening night party. I mean, I I had no idea what was going on. You know, I was just having fun. <laughs> okay. And then when I saw you at Broadway Sessions a few weeks ago, were you really legitimately surprised? It seemed like you were legitimately surprised when they, they did that number of Beauty and the Beast and made you sing it. Yes, I was totally legitimately surprised. And you know what's funny? It's like, of course, I've done this part how many times over a thousand performances and I tell you once I'm done with something I'm done with it so <laughs> if you'll recall I could not remember many of the words because yeah. that data had been erased <laughs> it had been totally yeah, erased well, it was done um, it, you know what was great about that is is I, I had just strolled in right before that um, apologies for my tardiness uh, and my, I brought my friend who had never been to Broadway sessions, and she kept saying, like, what, what's it like? What happens there? People always ask me what happens there, and I, I tell them that I cannot respond. I can't explain it. You just have to go. And I'm tired mm. of people asking me what happens there, but I was so happy that what happened was what happened when, when we walked in because it was hilarious. And she was, like, you know, laughing her ass off as soon as she walked in. So it was, it was, that was great. I was totally mortified, too, because, you know, Greg and I did a sketch earlier in the show where, you know, we, we come in and we play Ben's, you know, I played Ben's mother and he plays Ben's uh, stepdad. And so we were sort of concentrating on the sketch. And then I was singing another song that um, that, that I wrote. And so I was like, okay, I got to focus on that. And I was dealing with allergies that day. And, and then when Ben, you know, pulled the old surprise out, of his hat, I, you know, I tried not to, you know, really, like, pee down my leg, and, and <laughs> I was, like, thinking, just go, you know, just go go with it and have fun, and it, it ended up being really, really fun. Yeah, I mean, it, it that, that was amazing. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about this, uh, this Tasty Skank band you're in. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, T- T-A-S-T-I, Skank, one word. Um, yes, I um, started on that. Yeah, go How'd ahead. How did you come up with that name? Well, it's a really legitimate story. Um, so, I mean, did um, you come he, up with it on your own, or was it, it was it sort of created by, like, rum in a Pepsi bottle? Um, actually, Frozen Cosmos. Um, okay. It was, um, you know, my best friend, uh, Kate Reinders, um, she was playing uh, – well, not at the time, but when we debuted, the act, she was Glinda and Wicked, and I was Belle in Beauty and the Beast at the time. But when we um, 
you know, I guess became Tasty Skank. We um we were in LA just sort of hanging out and we were um hanging out with our our friend Paul Gordon who is uh, the composer of Broadway's uh, Jane Eyre and uh Emma that was at uh the old globe recently. Anyway, so we were at his house and I play a little bit of guitar and I was sort of coming up with a little a little ditty and Paul said, Oh, that's that's great, Sarah. Um why don't you you know, why don't you guys write a song? And of course we looked at him and we were saying, Well, what are we've never really written a song, well what are we supposed to write about? And he said, Well just, you know, write about something you love and so we ended up writing a song about In-N-Out Burger because we had been uh, been to In-N-Out Burger every day um, on our trip to L.A. and it's just it that became the very first song. It was this love song, and then that weekend we wrote another song called Hydrocodone and Value My Love You. And um, the first song we wrote, yeah, that one's a it, it, that's a doozy. Um, so then, uh, you know, two days later, we decided that. Because we had written two songs, we were officially a band. I mean, if you've written one song, you're a band. You're, you're totally legit. So we were in the pool at the Oakwood Apartments um, in Toluca Lake with our friend Jackie Pirro, and um, one of my besties, and we were having Frozen Cosmos. And, of course, we're having this conversation about being a band. And then and there is when we were coming up with, the name case uh, with what we should be named and it was sort of like we're shooting ideas back and forth like oh something like that describes us like sugar and spice or like naughty and nice and i don't know who said it because you know we were a little tipsy but someone said tasty skank and then immediately we went yeah tasty with an eye with a heart over it and we just started cackling and you know that's you know (laughs) tasty skank was birthed so it's a cute name and a, and a huh? pardon. What's your point I would say it was just like this idea. You know, we we didn't really know what we were going to be doing with it because there were only two songs at this point, and we had the name. But then, you know, when we would get together, we you know have some cocktails, and we you know Kate and I, whenever we're together, we just giggle about stuff. So we would just start writing things, and you know, then we wrote a song called "Oops, I Fucked You Again." <laughs> about, you know, repeat sex. And then, then came Manscape the Area. And it was, you know, these songs are sort of all the things that Kate and I sort of talk about in our friendship. Um, and I think what a lot of girls talk about but just don't really admit that they talk about. And uh-huh. um, eventually, you know, um, Jason Egan over at Ars Nova, you know, we were telling him, oh, we've been writing these songs. And he said, well, why don't you, why don't you do a show? And that's sort of how it all started. Wow, and and you guys are still plugging away, right? Well, you know, we had a television deal with Sony that ended, let's see, um, 2009, and we almost got picked up by Comedy Central, and, you know, we had a lot of interest um, in in, uh, um, the idea of our show. And then at the end of the contract, it was just really, really frustrating because we put a lot of time and effort into it, and, you know, not really being able to focus on our own careers because we were tied down to this deal. Um, so we sort of parted for a while and went on our, uh, you know, to sort of, you know, uh, pursue our own careers. Um, and Kate now lives in L.A. and I'm here, so it makes, us really, makes it really hard for us to be able to do Tasty's Gang. But I believe we might be doing a reunion concert in July um, at Upright Cabaret in Los Angeles. So certainly keep you posted on that. 
Oh, awesome. Where is that located in L.A.? That's a really good question. Oh. Your <laughs> listeners are going to have to Google that Google straight up. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, so so you, you and Kate were actually voted as two of the most sexiest New Yorkers by the New York Post. Did, did this yes. mean anything to you? Because I, I don't normally read the Post or, or read in general. Yes, it means everything to me. It means everything to be named one of the sexiest bitches in New York. And how is it that I'm one of the sexiest, now the sexiest bitch in New York, because Kate's not even here, why am I single? (laughs) That was another one of our songs. It was called 25 Sexiest New Yorkers, Where the Fucks Are Fucking Boyfriends. Yeah. Well, why why are you single, do you think? You know, do you, I mean, how long is this interview? Um, we have another three hours at least. <laughs> you know, you know, let's let's keep it light. Because you know, I, 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 you know, it's, it would take too long to explain. I personally yeah, think I I'm attached. No, but you know, I will say that when when Tasty Skank was going strong, <laughs> there were so many guys that just didn't want to date us because they didn't want to be turned into a song. That makes now sense. I have no idea. Now I'm single yeah. and ready to mingle. I'm large and in charge. So I think now with a little bit of the tasty skank, you know, thing on the side burner, I'm getting a little more, you know, attention, a little more love. So <laughs> that reminds me that what, one of my friends started this like blog about all her okay cupid dates that she was gonna write a blog about each <laughs> one of them and like how horrible they were. And then my other friend said, "Oh yeah, I ran into this guy at an audition. He's going out with that girl tomorrow." And I'm like. Wait, does he know he's going to get blogged about? Like, uh, I'm sure that, you know, you find out that they wouldn't want to, you know, continue in that. You're dating her. I don't blame, you know, honestly, like, when Tasha Skank was going really strong, I I honestly didn't blame guys for not wanting to get involved. (laughs) But now you do. Now you blame them. Yeah, now I see, yeah, yeah. well, you know, (laughs) I've got to come up with more material. Um, you know, on a side note, Sarah, did, did anyone ever told, tell you that the word singer is in your last name? A little ironic. No good? I know. I know. I think it means singer of songs, my last name. So, um, oh, so, so Litz is songs in some I, language? I think, I think the tra- now, this could me, be me. you just totally bullshitting. I have no idea. But I think it's an Austrian name, and I, I believe there is a – I'm going to sound like such a dumbass if somebody actually looks this up. But I, I think that there is a town of, like, Litz or something in Austria um, that singers came – maybe that's where the name came from. I don't – somebody told me that, although maybe I was, like, smoking crack at the time, so I'm not sure if that – don't, you know, hold me to it. Well, let's get back to your crack-smoking days now. Now you've, yes. you've recovered, correct? You're yes, all good? Yeah, I'm off the crack. Whitney and I are both both totally clean now. Yeah, because I remember when you and Whitney used to hang out a lot. It was during the the split from Bobby. That wasn't too long ago. No, that wasn't too long ago. And you know what? She was right to tell, you know, Diane Sawyer when Diane Sawyer was saying, you know, word is that you've spent $100,000 on crack. And, you know, Whitney responded, like, show me the receipts. Because, Uh you know, crack dealers don't give receipts. (laughs) Um. Yes. Just a reminder, if anyone has questions for Sarah, call the number at the top of your screen, 
4131. Um, Sarah, we are going to play a game we always play on this show. It's called Hot <laughs> or Hot Mess, where I give you a list of things. You tell me if they're hot or a hot mess. Are you ready? Okay. I like this. All yeah. right. <laughs> Let's open it up. Right on. Holler. All right. First up on Hot or Hot Mess, Broadway Sessions with Ben D. Hot or Hot Mess? Oh, hot. Hot. Okay. Hot. Yeah, Um, hot. Fair enough. This is, speaking of Ben D. Cameron, this is when uh, Blazing Rye Saber, Jonathan DeMar, and I did Ben's Broken Leg podcast and what ensued while we were recording. <laughs> yeah. No, Domino's. Ordering Domino's. That's my worst habit. Peeing in the shower is the worst habit. Peeing in the shower. Oh, you have the number. 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 That's tragic. <laughs> How about the thing is that you know they they start that show with a shot of Jameson, so it's just all downhill from the top of the show. Jameson's always turns into hot mess. <laughs> I've never taken a drink on this show. Not to say it won't ever happen, but I don't think I don't think that's really professional behavior. Listen, if I was in the studio with you, we would be guzzling something down. <laughs> I mean, you might be doing it already. I can't see you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, especially if, if Reuter, if Greg Reuter was with us, you know, he'd sneak in a whole bottle of Patron or something, so. <laughs> what was up with uh, with uh, Mr. Burgess drinking all that Patron the other night? Yeah, and, and he said that, didn't he announce on stage that he was at the at the vocal doctor earlier in the day at the ENT and got a little a little cortisone shot or something. I don't think that you're supposed to be boozing it up when you got some cortisone in your system. But, you know, it doesn't matter with him because his voice was a gift from baby Jesus. <laughs> yeah, his, his uh, uh, yeah, he sounded amazing. He's, uh, there was uh, no reason to apologize for it or whatever that was. The, uh, but I, yeah, you are not supposed to do that because I remember I had to take a, take a, a, a like a cortisone uh, drug and like not a shot but in a tablet when I was when I lived in Los Angeles because everyone should get that every day when they live in Los Angeles. No, um, yeah, absolutely. But it, yeah, uh, but yeah, I remember that I was debating whether or not to have a, a wine with dinner that night, and I looked on the thing, and yeah, I don't think you're supposed to drink with. It. No, definitely not. Ask Whitney. Well, so, she knows. So. <laughs> hot or hot mess to Los Angeles then? Hot or hot mess? Oh, um, hot. I like, like weather-wise? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like 90 <laughs> degrees there today. Um, No, it, it, you know what? Can it be both? It's, it's hot, yes, in temperature. Hot mess in terms of maybe some of the people, my friends. And the traffic. Excluded. Yeah, and the traffic is totally hot mess. It's busted. <laughs> Busted. Um, yeah, absolutely. How about Justin Bieber, hot or hot mess? Oh, oh, Biebs. Um Oh God. I don't even. I, mm, mm. He's he's a little cutie. We'll go hot. 
we'll go hot. Okay. This is uh, from Broadway's A Christmas Carol Johnson, DeMar's Mike Tyson impression. I can, I can talk the way I want to talk. If you have a problem, change the station. <laughs> hot or hot mess? Oh, God, hot mess. <laughs> can you do a better one? You mean imitating him? No, imitating Mike Tyson. Oh, that was Mike Tyson? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's double hot mess. That's beyond. That's like <laughs> off the charts. Mike, that sounds not yeah. That guy was like Russian. <laughs> okay. Well, let's give him a chance to redeem himself. This is Jonathan DeMar's Mike, uh, no, sorry, Rip Torn impression. And after that, he sort of says, he says, Somebody owes me a martini, and the whole <laughs> table cracks up. I was like, somebody owes me a martini. That's hot. That's okay, much better. Okay. That's much better. That first what? one was bunk. That was out. Bunk. All right. And, you know, Sarah, you've used several terms now that, that I haven't heard in about ten years. Exactly. That's what I'm good for. <laughs> All right. Maybe that's maybe maybe these guys think that you're living in a different era. It could be. I am an old broad. <laughs> um, last up on Hot or Hot Mess, this is uh, Biz Marquee beatboxing on Blazing Run. <laughs> I tell you, 
I have been in this business now. I've lived here since um, 1990, uh, so 20 years. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of these careers that, you know, uh, like I said, when I was a child, I had to do it. Um, you know, and I'm really lucky to be to be um, living my dream, so to speak. But this career is full of ups and downs. It's full of you know, these highs, high, high highs and these lows and um and I think to persevere through it sometimes is a little challenging because, you know, part of being an actor or a performer or whatever is, you know, working and not working, working and not working. So right now it's it's a not working situation. I um last show I did I played Peter Pan, um the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, which was really fun because I got to fly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, wow. fairy dust on everyone, which was cool. And I totally looked like Justin Bieber. That's probably why I said hot. Um, um, yeah, and right now I'm auditioning. Uh, things are going well. And I've got some some things kind of brewing, but nothing set in stone yet. But, you know, that's sort of the name of the game. That is the name of the game. It, it always kind of frustrates me when, when uh, my friends um, complain a lot about not having like not being on Broadway yet or whatever, whereas right. they were just on like on a cruise ship for for a long time, getting paid a lot of money to sing and dance around. Like, what what do you have to complain about? You know? Yeah, no, I mean, I think if you're getting paid to do what you love to do, um, Broadway. I mean, honestly, it's it's great, and and that's what a lot of people aspire to. And I'm not knocking it, but I mean, ultimately, it's just another job. It, you know, probably a better high-paying job, and the perk of being on Broadway is that, you know, if you're a New Yorker and you live here, then you get to, you know, take the subway to work rather than having to go out of town. But, um, yeah. you know, Broadway, the business has changed quite a bit. You know, now it's much more difficult to book leading roles on Broadway when they're bringing in, you know, uh, so-and-so from American Idol or movie stars or television stars, not saying that those people shouldn't have those roles, but those people sell yeah. tickets. It's totally understandable. So it makes it a little bit harder. Um, but, um, you know, that's the way it is. But I also am acutely aware of the fact that, you know, tomorrow I could get a phone call with a booking. So, you know, you just remain open and innocent about things. You know, I try to be as innocent as possible and modest and, you know, just trust that something will come will come along, the right thing at the right time. Innocent? What do you mean by innocent? Have you been well, guilty about like, things? No, just, no, I mean, like, just um, not having a hardened attitude. I think that's what I mean. Because it's very easy to be hardened. Um, you know, I guess that's what I mean by, like, being modest and innocent. It's just, you know, trying to do good work and um, instead of trying to be somebody, like, you know, do something worthwhile. I'm more interested in that than, like, what oh, what fancy job can I be doing? You know, I've never sort of looked at Broadway, like I said earlier, it's like being, oh, now I've made it. It's just, I just want to do good work and I don't want to be jaded. And it's easy to be in this business and go up and down so much and have it harden you. So that's what I mean by being innocent. Yeah. I, I feel like if you're an actor who uh, is, who who gets paid regularly to do what they love to do, and then you uh, complain a lot about not being on Broadway. I feel like there's a problem there because isn't, I mean, if then maybe you're not exactly happy being an actor. Wouldn't you be happy just doing what you love to do and making a living off of it rather than like this, you know, I mean, does that make sense? No good? Absolutely makes sense. But I also think like, 
I, I understand people. I'm like, I, I certainly complain at times too. I, I'm, yeah. I complain more so when I, I'm, I feel like I'm taking steps forward or I'm, I'm laying down great auditions or doing a really good job and I'm not being paid to do what I love to do. You know, it's, yeah. you know, when I'm like, Oh crap, how am I going to pay that bill? And you know, that's certainly something, you know, uh, having had good success working throughout my career, I've never really had to worry about finances. So that's an interesting thing too. And I have, like I said, found myself complaining quite a bit, you know, why are things this way? And it's just, you know, that's the way it is. Oh, and, and you went through that whole empty <laughs> hammer thing where you you lost all your millions and had to do a VH1 special too. So exactly. Now you've got me crying. Oh God, right. <laughs> um. So it's interesting that you say that bit about American Idol uh, because you know my my old tennis coach uh, he said he went to see Rent at um, the Schubert in New Haven and he, he was frustrated because some of the actors in it. Uh, were from American Idol, and um, and he was like, but you know, uh, it got you guys are you know out there, and and you know you went to school for this, and blah blah blah, and you you know, and then now they're putting the American Idol people in. I don't think it's right. And then I could only respond with, well, I mean, Tamira Gray from American Idol was she was the best Mimi I ever saw. I thought so. I I don't know. You know, yeah, uh, no, it's not to say that these people are without talent. I mean, they certainly are. But I think the thing that's frustrating for a lot of um, actors is that um, certainly a television show like that will give you the beeline to being successful. Obviously, you know, you're weeded out if you're not that great. And, you know, some of these people have incredible killer voices. But, um, you know, that's the thing. It's like the whole pecking order and like have you paid your dues thing i think that people get frustrated about i know i have been frustrated by it because it's like oh well i've you know i've been in the business for over 25 years you know you get passed over for someone who's an instant sort of success but the reason why you know the producers will put them in the show is because they they're recognizable and it's not their fault you know and it's in a way it's not the producer's fault i mean the the producers need to sell tickets. It's just interesting how, um, you know, the business was not like this 10 years ago, but with reality television and how um, everything has become viral with the Internet and, and just access is, is so different now. I guess, you know, as an actor, you have to figure out how to change with the business as well and not get super uptight about it, you know, just realizing what the situation is and trying to figure out how to, how to roll with it, I guess. And stalk yeah, them, definitely. those American um, Idol people stalk them and, and hurt them, you know, if need be, outside the stage you know, door. What? We, we, uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, we, we just had, you know, we just had Sanjaya on the on the show. Who'd you have? Sanjaya Malakar from American oh, Idol. Oh, Sanjaya, yes. Um, yeah, that was uh, interesting. How was Sanjaya? Well, oh he God. doesn't have good a good doesn't have a good mobile plan. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, you know, he's one of those American Idol people that kind of suck, right? <laughs> well, he was heavily criticized, which was that was fascinating to hear him talk about that. But uh, yeah, he was definitely uh, not well liked by uh, the judges, at least Simon. Sam doesn't like anyone except Kelly Clarkson. Always goes back to Kelly. As is, Always I goes back to Kelly. I, she's got a great voice, though. 
she does. She does. Um, she really yeah. So, all right, then, Sarah, you, um, well, uh, if you're, okay, so when you're, you have yeah, this downtime, like, well, I, I'm, I'm trying to phrase it properly, but when you have this, this downtime, like, like, uh, like you have right now, what do you, what do you do for fun in, in the, the Big Apple here? Oh, geez. You know, um, I can kind of be a bit of a homebody at times. I'm a huge, like, I like to DDR, Dateline, NBC, <laughs> and 2020. <laughs> I'm, like, so addicted to 48 Hours Mystery and all the housewives what? of New Jersey, Orange County, New York. I mean, I will watch all that crap. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> heavily, I'm heavily addicted to I mean, for some reason, all those, like, murder mystery shows, I don't know, uh, maybe I'm a little morbid, but I like that stuff, and then I like the really um, bad sort of, you know, guilty pleasure TV, which is good. But, um, yeah, I, I hang out with friends, you know. We have lunches and things, and we discuss, um, you know, stuff and things. And then um, I, uh, I, <laughs> and then I, I definitely do um, my hot yoga a couple times a week. I go with my friend Amanda Watkins. Um, we did Beauty and the Beast together, and we get our yoga on. Yoga, yoga. Oh, that yeah. must be helpful for for attitude uh, adjustment in the business when when it's needed. Oh, absolutely! It keeps the mind calm and the body hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, cool. Well, what's the difference between stuff and things? You talk about stuff and you talk about things, but not. Not at the same time, right? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, and business and doings. We we discuss that as well. So and there's a can, whole. Did you do that at at meetings or sit downs? Absolutely, lunches and and whatnot. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, hey, Sarah, I had a great time with you on the air today, and thank you so much for doing it. Right. Thanks for having me. I had a great time too, and um, let's booze it up at sessions next time. Yeah, next time, uh, you know, well, we may as well just go tonight. I know. Maybe I'll see you there. Maybe I'll see you there. Well, we're both very being kind of like Los Angeles flaky right now. We're like, eh, I might yeah. go, I might not go. We're yeah. so noncommittal. I kind of like it, though. It's edgy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's stay noncommittal, and uh, I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rye. Bye, Sarah. Bye. <laughs> All right, that was Sarah Litzinger. Um, so, thank you so much to Sarah Litzinger. Uh, check her out on the homepage at blogtalkradio.com because we're up there under today's picks. Uh, see a nice picture of her playing Bell. Big thank you to Michael Buchanan, who uh, is from White Noise and the Adams Family on Broadway. Um, and uh, huge thank you to our panel. Thanks to Matt Britton. Um, and uh, very exciting what's going on with his play. Uh, picked up by the producers of Urine Town to be uh, produced at their theater. And a big thank you to Ashley Austin Morris. You can catch her. The show has been extended until May 29th called Reading the Reading Under the Influence. It's at the DR, is it DR1 or DR2 theater? can't remember, um, but it's one of those. And uh, you can go to uh, Reading Under the Influence, theplay.com, I believe she said, uh, to get tickets. Uh, it's worth it. Um, lovely cast and, and writer met them all after the show when we went last week and just just really lovely people and she is so funny in it so check that out check out Slaybells check out CSS 
And we will be back next week with our second drama therapy special with Jason Friedman. Also, uh, Jarrett from Bowling for Soup on Thursday, which is awesome. Like, how great is that? That Bowling for Soup is going to be on Blazing Rye. And um, I can think of no better way of, of ending the show than by saying, if it ain't showbiz, just ain't a biz. And lastly, somebody owes me a martini and a refund to Spider-Man.